I have not been recording. Oh. I think my I think my stupid face. Oh. Oh, one of those. Push the button face. and makes it stop recording. Okay, I figured it out. I I had to restart the recording. I'm sorry. That's okay. You are so good. We're good. I feel bad. Like I'm getting really cozy with Aaron. Like I don't think I brushed my teeth today. That's okay. I'm still all sweaty from my hike, so you're welcome. Okay. You're all bloody and Jimmy's all stinky. <laughs> All sweaty. Actually, we should talk about what me and my brother and my father talked about because it was really fun. On the hike? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, hikes always bring out good conversation. So basically, so my brother wrote an article about me. Um, about you. I was at home and um, I was like struggling with the concept of respect and money in my family. Yeah. But it brought out this like interesting discussion. So like I was, I just got this new job that I love and I was like really excited about it. Yeah. And I was telling my, my dad about it. And he said something like, um, I said, I said, guess how much money I'm making? Cause I'm used to making like 11 or $12 an hour as like, as a mental health tech and a, you know, phlebotomist and stuff at the hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, guess how much money I'm making? And he was like $40 an hour. And I was like, Ugh. and he's like, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, no, and he, like, cause he was just joking. But then he was like $80 an hour. And he's like. <laughs> it's going up. It was funny, but it was like it took all my like spunk, like it took all my oh. excitement mm-hmm. away. I was like, I'm gonna go talk to somebody else. I'm gonna talk to mom. She's probably gonna be more supportive about this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And because uh, I was like super excited to be making sixteen dollars an hour, because it's like I've never made that much in my life. And the difference between twelve and sixteen is like a world of difference. It's the difference That's between huge. like sinking and like. Getting up, yeah. floating, and like building a ship, a raft, and like, you know, actually mm-hmm. progressing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, it was a big deal to me. Like, that $4 raise is like a huge deal to me. But he doesn't know how to empathize with that. And neither does my brother because yeah. they've been making 20 to 30 or 40 or whatever dollars an hour for the last few decades. <laughs> so they just don't. <laughs> is this your brother, the engineer? Yeah. Who's had like a steady job, yeah, for a while now in Albuquerque, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So they Not just your can't... brother, the actor, who would probably relate to this a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was much better at relating. So my brother, yeah. the actor, was there for the second half of this whole um, conflict, and he wrote an article about it. He was so inspired by it. He wrote an oh, article Oh, interesting. About it. Okay. Oh, awesome. Cool. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but it's about income inequality and like the subtle influences of it and what what can happen because of it. Yeah. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, yeah. Essentially, I uh, I was getting fed up with like that kind of stuff. I was so I was like pumped about it and like I wasn't able to share that with them because of mm-hmm. because of income inequality. I wasn't able to share my excitement and my joy, my happiness with them. You know. Yeah. And I felt disrespected, you know, and I felt like, you mm-hmm. know, s- sad and annoyed. 
yeah, we got through it and we talked about it. And then big article about how it's it's hard to talk to people who are of different socioeconomic classes. Yeah. It's hard for them to talk about money. It's like always awkward and difficult because they're trying to empathize and understand with my situation. And I'm trying and I'm not even trying oftentimes to empathize with their situation. That that would be a really big um, uh, tool, a big barrier that that we'd have to get over as a society is to kind of recognize this money shame and or like the day or the the day job shame Mm -hmm. for like creatives like me, you know, like people have day jobs, you know, and Mm -hmm. but they don't talk about them. They don't. There's like this kind of they just want to talk about the creative gigs. But to me, it's like it all kind of is one package, though. Like it's all kind of part of your life. It's all it all kind of makes makes up you know pieces of the whole mm-hmm. and i think it's worth talking about it's worth asking about and it's worth like shedding the shame mm-hmm. you know yeah, and definitely. making it a normal thing just to be like how much you make or whatever like and and i think that will empower us because it'll you know enlighten us it'll yeah yeah Aww. yeah because essentially it's othering like every time mm-hmm. just the fact that we have different classes is othering it makes it really difficult to talk about these things some people have recognized this before like you know several decades ago they created the fair wage act mm. and it had and one of the provisions in the act was it's, it's illegal to prohibit employees from talking about their wages oh it's illegal it's forbidding forbidding i see yeah exactly yeah okay <laughs> So it's a double negative. It's confusing. Yeah, that's good. That is good. Yeah. So, yeah. but if you ever worked in a corporation, you know that there's always some kind of weird ass provision in the end of the contract you sign that says, I will mm. not talk about my wages with my coworkers. Yeah, yeah. They still sneak that shit in. And it's illegal for them to tech. It's technically illegal for for them to fire you for that. But I've been, I've been threatened with being fired even at a small business. I've been oh threatened God. with being fired for discussing wages with others. I didn't even really do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was threatened with being fired for discussing wages with others. And I was like, yeah. I didn't even know until like half a year ago, I found out oh. that there's this act out there, you know, that's supposed to make sure we get fair wages. And one of the provisions on the act on a federal level is, is yeah. that they're not technically allowed to do that. You can uh. call them out on that bullshit if you ever... Yeah, they throw shit in contracts they know won't hold up in court, but just use as a scare tactic, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fuckers. Yeah, they do that shit. Yeah. On a similar note, I've been, I was threatened with being fired, like, on the down low. I was threatened, mm-hmm. I was, I was actually fired for decreasing my hours from a full-time employee. I didn't want to mm. be full-time anymore. I went down to, like, part-time, 28 hours a week or something like that, and they were like... They weren't allowed to tell me, go back to full time or we'll fire you. So they got one of the, one of my coworkers to come take me aside and talk to me. And he was like, Hey bro, you should probably go back to 40 hours. And I was like, why? What do you mean? He's like, just do it. Just trust me. You should probably go back up to 40 hours. Um, so at the time I didn't understand subtlety. So I didn't realize that I was being warned Mm, uh, by this guy. Subtext. Yeah. The subtext. Like, the way he was saying it, like, didn't occur to me. Mm. And so 
I didn't realize that I was being like actually warned, like you're going to get fired, Oliver, if you don't go back to 40 hours a week. So within a week or two, I was fired for, and they, they gave me some other kind of reason. Oh, what? Like, oh, yeah. you're, oh, you're, you know, not doing this adequately or whatever. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just kind of was like, well, okay, well, I don't really want this job anyway. I got to work with animals anyway, so I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to try to fight it. They're probably mm-hmm. pretty careful anyways. They probably wouldn't have won anyways. But yeah. yeah. Is that legal? Aaron, do you know? I, it's legal to force somebody to go down to part, to go back up to full time or whatever? I don't know. Um, I know in the state of Colorado, you can let somebody go at any time for any reason technically oh yeah it's a it's a, it's a right um, to so work it depends thing. yeah yeah so it kind of depends on the state a little bit and i think it depends on the employer as mm-hmm. well like if they oh, yeah. you know filled you in a position that they really only wanted a full-time person for mm-hmm. um for me i guess like with how i manage i i'm just like really transparent just because like i don't know i i feel like i don't do super like i don't necessarily pick up on subtle things super well either or like sometimes i'll just like misread the subtle thing and i'm like okay i know something was there i totally got you and then i'm just like on a totally different wavelength than what the person (laughs) was trying to communicate so i know for me i just need like just like straightforward things yeah so that's reflective in my management style also so usually like just like in the hiring process i'm pretty straightforward like if it's a position where i need someone full-time i tell them when we're doing the interviews before we've even hired them yeah we need someone full-time for this and if you can't do full-time let us know and we're probably going to look elsewhere Mm -hmm. um so if in that situation if i had somebody come up and be like hey i actually can't do full-time it would already kind of be understood while i need someone full-time for this position so if i can't have you full-time i'm probably going to let you go but it depends on the state and like the employer and legally Mm -hmm. though i don't know that i like you know that i have to be like hey i'm hiring you for a full-time position i don't know if i have to clarify that as an employer i'm not sure the technicalities on that Mm -hmm. um but if it is Mm -hmm. like a right to work state if that's why they want to fire you i suppose they -hmm. could technically but that does seem really weird to me that they didn't just like let you know like that's what they wanted yeah that's that's really weird um i don't what job was it, if you don't mind me asking, or what kind oh, of work this was, was it? It was uh, Autism Center called... Uh, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, it was this one like right by your house, actually, Jimmy. Okay. Oh, Why cool. is it a, so it's a pretty small business, too, then? Yeah, it was relatively small. I would say, mm. yeah. yeah, on the Sorry. upper end of size of, of a small business. Yeah. But still a small business. Huh. Um, yeah, even that structure, even within that structure, a lot of small businesses I've noticed, places that I've worked, have started to adopt large business policies. Obviously, so the major corporations started these policies because we don't have any, because we dissolved the unions, we don't have any leverage mm-hmm. against them, right? When they became, yeah. over, the, yeah. over the decades, when it became part of culture to accept these mm-hmm. injustices, a small business owners started to adopt them too because they're like, well, I got to compete with the large businesses, so I should, mm-hmm. I should have the right to fire my employees for these things too. I should have the right to pay my employees less too, and like blah blah blah. 
Yeah. Right. And I think as a small business owner, like, you don't necessarily know what you're doing as much, you know? So you're just kind of like, well, uh, I hear this is what ha- how people do things or how this is handled typically. I, so mm-hmm. I'll just follow this. But I know, yeah, you're a manager of a small business, Aaron, so... Um, yeah, I was just going to say, it really depends on the small business owner, though, because I've known small business owners who've owned multiple different small businesses over, you know, like, they've owned, like, three different businesses before, like, they started, like, working with the one that they have now. But I feel that small businesses, you get a lot more nuance because there's not, you know, a big corporate blueprint that people are following. um, Yeah, definitely. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I, I definitely prefer working for small clinics over hospitals, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's night and day, like, the difference. It's, like, a hundred times better. Oh, I believe that. Just being overly critical, I guess, of American culture and how we've started to adopt these practices, you know, <laughs> yeah. to our core in our psyche, like, deep down in our psyche. What we were saying about vibes, um, vibrations. That, like would trigger different like emotional reactions in people which i think is super interesting how like universal that is it was called like the devil's note or something like that because this was like back in like i think medieval times or something what sarah was talking about Uh how it was like a specific note i think that you could play like on the organ or something that like induced like feelings of like panic and like terror in people oh yeah um there was just one note yeah like probably like a chord like dissonance specific yeah. Um, I don't think it was just, like, dissonance. I think it was, like, something very specific, and it was just, like, how it, like, interacted with people because it was such a universal thing. Like, that was just how it affected people, kind of. It was really interesting. Mm-hmm. That's oh, what I, I was think- trying to get at, actually, is um, where did this campfire conversation stem from? And I think we got to it because I've, cause I've heard this, too. I've heard about this, too. Like, um, somebody brought this up mm. a, few, a few years ago. I remember we were talking about the same thing. There's, like, a... Yeah. A scientifically proven devil's cord or... Mm-hmm. And there's also the opposite. There's... Well, I feel like it just kind of stands to reason. You know, if there's something one way, there's probably something the other direction as well. Yeah. That's true. Um, you know, if there's cords that can strike whatever those emotional triggers are, like in the human brain, I'm sure there's something that can strike other emotional triggers in the brain as well. And then yeah. we were talking about vibes and how you can be on a certain frequency... It can bring people up, and that mm-hmm. how in our culture we have uh, a term for that that most people like to use, which is just being in a manic state, which is negative psychology. Nowadays, we're, we're, we're people are starting to get into positive psychology, where we're focusing on the positive aspects of the brain, and how you can arrive at that type of manic state or high state through in, introspection over weeks, taking care of yourself and taking care of your health. It's natural to suddenly come to a manic state, like in uh, in like a tribal society. Yeah, mm-hmm. people used to live um, oftentimes on the cycles with the cycles of the moon. Oh, cool! So, like on a monthly basis, you'd have not just women at their highest frequency, but the whole tribe at their highest frequency during a full moon, maybe. And yeah. they'll spend the whole night up hunting because by the light of the moon, but not just for practical reasons. Just like you have just if you're in tune with that part of aspect of nature, then you'll have you'll just have a natural inclination to just be higher energy during those times. Mm. Right. And they still notice that to these days to this day. Like you notice like 
if you if you work as a cop or in a hospital, you'll know mm-hmm. you'll know that like on a full moon night, you're gonna have more incidences. Mm-hmm. That's a very very real thing. I feel like um, we actually have a lot of clientele who works in like the medical field who will come in and get like kava to go because they're like it's a full moon tonight it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy yeah and they're like preventatively like getting that to help keep themselves in a better space to deal with whatever oh man shows up but that's like a regular occurrence like yeah like that that i've seen that that's been Mm -hmm. pretty consistent across the board with like most of like yeah yeah like medical personnel that comes through ohana at least um in my personal experience yeah Mm -hmm. Um, and the kava bar is pretty close to a hospital right that memorial hospital or whatever mm -hmm. yeah there are downtown locations really close to one um but yeah we have like a couple um emts and nurses who who Uh. are like frequent like both locations i would say pretty regularly um just because the owner was a um, rn for a long time in the er so a lot of people he's spoken with and like his old co- co-workers come to support the business too but the night shift workers yeah a lot of them um like work more the evenings and stuff um mm-hmm. that come through ohana too so yeah um i that also know that a is a, a different um crowd probably that they're receiving at night than they would during the daytime as well too to Definitely. be fair yeah. but do they get the, the low energy cover or the high energy cover um they honestly they usually go with the extract um which is a little bit more like the social daytime kind of kava but that's Mm -hmm. probably better if they're like on shift if they're going to have something just because they are going to be more you know alert and it depends on the person like i function just fine with the more like mellow like sedative kava so to speak um yeah but i already I feel like I tend to err towards kind of like a more anxious person sometimes anyway, like when I'm like in work mode. Okay. So that I feel like balances me out really well. Um, you take the lower think, energy one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, I've kind of always like geared that direction. Um, but I think with them, just because of how fast paced like their jobs can get. And they're kind um, of unnaturally staying up all night. So they could probably need the energy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And um, the other the other part of that, too, is they usually get extracts. Um, and those ones, those just hit you a lot faster. Like, mm-hmm. um, they just get absorbed a lot more quickly. Um, oh. And you feel the effects a little sooner and more all at once. Um, okay. And with the extracts, we pretty much only have two different strains. And those are always the more social kind. Um, so that you don't get a lot of variance with that. Oh. Um, oh. So yeah, if you want the more more mellow ones, you actually have to have to have traditional kava, which is which is good. It just you know feels more like a slow release. Like your body has more to break down. It's. Um, I know with me, more. like on a full moon, I used to try to like uh, stifle the energy that I would get. Yeah, like, I'm yeah. pretty sensitive as as an individual. Like, and when the full moon comes, mm, I can yeah. feel it. Like I can definitely feel like a buzz, and it's like mm-hmm. like all night like i don't sleep i don't sleep as long those nights it happened two mm-hmm. nights ago so i have like recent data yeah. on my yeah. mind and i remember i used to try to stifle it by taking kava tea valerian root um mm. it was low energy kava tea though and it was the kind you get at the supermarket so it wasn't quite the same okay yeah. like the was it and yogi tea yeah and like my, the mm. medication i take that calms you down and the yogi yeah. tea and like, None of that seemed to help. 
for whatever reason, like it was like, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely just made me, it's like, it's comparable to trying to drink coffee when you're sleepy. Like it just mm. makes you feel weird. Like it doesn't actually mm-hmm. make you, it doesn't actually drinking coffee when you're already tired doesn't really give you energy. It just makes you kind of feel jittery. <laughs> you right. Feel anxious and just like, yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like the same on the opposite side of the spectrum, flip side of the coin. When I do yeah. on, a, on a full moon night, if I try to, st- I've I've learned like over the last few years that I have to just em- embrace the high energy mode and just be like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be up a little bit later tonight. I'm gonna be up a little bit earlier tomorrow. Use that energy to maybe like get some more stuff done or be more creative or try something. Just- right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a negative thing, and I think if if it's something that is like consistent and predictable, you mm-hmm. know, you can plan ahead for that. You can anticipate that, which I think mm-hmm. um, is also like very useful. Like that um, regularity mm-hmm. is like a very useful thing Yeah. Um, with yeah. kind of That's getting true. the most out of, out of that energy that comes with that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, really interesting. My, my relationship to the moon, the full moon more specifically, is uh like in terms of footage like i always just get really excited when i think of the full moon because i well i have like a whole i have a folder that's just a bunch of moon shots on my computer over the years oh um, and most of them are full moon shots you know uh like whenever it's like an eclipse or like a super moon you know with dan or something and shoot the moon uh <laughs> so it's always like this like kind of exciting thing like yeah let's go get the moon but yeah. Like now that I haven't, you know, now that I write more than I shoot, I go for a lot of walks instead of, you know, when it, whenever it's uh, nighttime. Um, I like those night walks. But I find that my walks are shorter during the full moon now. Like I don't like being outside as much. Hmm. Like I get kind of anxious, like like you said, Oliver. Oh, yeah. Like the energy is kind of too high. I never actually like consciously was aware of that, but like in retrospect hearing you talk about it i do kind of recognize that pattern too like i usually don't do the full walk i'll just go to like the nearby park and come back and uh that's really interesting um yeah because i know i you know growing up like late high school like the full moon was always a a really exciting thing um Mm -hmm. largely because i was always going out on hikes and i love night hikes um, I think those are super fun, and I also hate using a flashlight because I like being able to see a little bit more just by whatever natural light is already there. So, mm. you know, the mm-hmm. next step would be, well, obviously, if you go during a full moon, you can see better, and it makes more sense, like, to time night hikes <laughs> out or, like, camping trips out with wow. full moons. Um, so that was always a really positive, exciting thing for me, and I would wow. usually be out mm-hmm. a lot longer um, because the visibility was a lot better and that allowed me to feel more comfortable in my space. Um, to be fair, um, visibility is better for everyone at that time, you know, and, you know, living in Colorado and like going like night hikes, that's hiking in the mountains at, at night, you know, so you just want to be safe about it too, obviously, you know, and like not Mountain. go by yourself and yeah, just be mindful, like what time of year it is, what <laughs> yeah. activities, wildlife in the area might be. Do your solo hikes also go longer on full moons? Longer than what they would if it were, like, not a full moon. But um, my solo hikes don't typically, when they're night hikes, I feel like just, like, aren't typically as long as 
Mm -hmm. um, what they would be if I were in a group, just yeah, yeah, depending on where it is, you know, because like if it's closer to the city, I mean, it sounds like super lame because I I feel like it doesn't happen super often in the springs. Growing up, always felt like relatively safe, quote unquote, but like, you know, it's still important to be mindful. Like, you know, there've been women who've been attacked like by themselves just going on runs during the daytime on trails that I've used all the time. It sounds like... You know, so it's just being mindful of that, too, because honestly, people freak me out more than animals do. Um, It sounds like we're getting a taste of, like, what it's it's like to be raised right. (laughs) Because, like, (laughs) a lot of people I know, their parents did not, like, appreciate nature and appreciate the full moons and, like, go on hikes at night. Like, my -hmm. family, we like to go on hikes, but it wasn't until maybe like in my 20s that I started that we started to open our mind to the idea of a night hike that's what I was trying to say earlier is it sounds like we were raised a little bit differently sometimes like it's really cool to hear like a taste like a window into like a really open like nature loving mindset you know yeah Yeah. I always like kind of think about that yeah because most of the people I know are terrified Mm -hmm. of animals and I I was terrified. I was terrified of animals. Uh When I went on my little, I did this crazy ass hike by myself once to just like as like a breakout type of thing. And I remember the first like third of the hike, Mm -hmm. I was I was scared of bears. Maybe like half the hike, Mm. I was scared of bears. It was like a fourteen mile hike up a mountain, down a mountain by myself. Oh my god! And I was scared of. I was really scared of bears at first, and then I realized pretty 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 like soon into the hike that that was a bias that had been placed on me by my my up my the way i grew up yeah yeah and that the real fear when you're going when you're exposed to the elements like that the real fear you should be worried about is dehydration elevation sickness cold exposure Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All the actual thing, like twisting your ankle, that's what you should be focused on. And I realized that pretty quickly. Once, once shit yeah. started to hit the fan, and I actually started to be like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna be out here at night," I realized mm-hmm. bears are the least of my concerns right now. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I I got really lucky um, um, with both my brother and I. Like we grew up camping like a lot, like literally from like toddlers. Like that was just a normal thing that we did oh yeah you know pretty much like all the time because my dad was a full-time working artist um for a long time growing up um doing like antler carvings and stuff like that so we travel a lot um for him to sell his work and you know it's a traveling family living off of one freelance artist's living (laughs) wage right you know so it's not like we made a lot of money so it was pretty much every summer for a very long time growing up it was just ro- a solid couple of months of road trips um and us you know stopping at different art shows like west fest shows or whatever staying there as long as the show was on for the most part we'd stay in a hotel like maybe one night out of like four or something oh, wow. um, and the other four nights it was it was camping um just because uh, so that was badass. how we could afford that lifestyle so cool. um, yeah. especially with two young kids and a dog and yeah, so that was what we did. But both my parents have background working in the forest services. Ah, it's so um, badass. Rangers and so um, cool. forest, yeah. like, um, like firefighters. <laughs> and that's just, like, what they did. That's how they met. That's, that's like, their comfort zone. 
Yeah. Um, so Kyle and I, my brother, got really lucky in how much of that rubbed off on us and how yeah. open they were about that lifestyle with us from just a really young age. So, like, to make being outdoors feel like a comfortable thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that reminds me of Sarah a little bit. Like, the way she was raised, she had a lot of cool um, exposures to Oh yeah. the earth. Yeah, like, she... Uh she's like she's really into plants nowadays and she's really tough and she's willing to like work really hard and she's really open and a big part of that is like some of the exposure she got from her family growing up Mm. like in the swamp oh cool she would Mm. she's like a swamp rat or whatever (laughs) i love it like in the bayou like in florida early new orleans yeah, I want to say uh, I'm just gonna let I'm gonna let her describe this to you guys okay. because yes. the stories are crazy. Um, yeah, but it's just like That's it's amazing cool. how malleable the human brain and body is. Because like even even my parents like they train me like to be really good at sports. They train me to be really <laughs> yeah. active, you know. And I I see a difference between me and my friends. But I wasn't we weren't really appreciative of nature like we went on hikes which is better Mm -hmm. than i can say a lot about like 90 percent of the people i knew growing up but we didn't really like sit and like look around nature we would literally just like walk on the trail as fast as we could to the end of the hike and then walk back like we wouldn't like like we'd look around a little bit here and there and be like oh cool a squirrel you know but we (laughs) wouldn't like (laughs) really try to appreciate what was going on spending like long time a long time out there we just we were kind of in a hurry to get back in the car and back home. Yeah. You're thinking about getting it done. Like, I got to get my hike in. Yeah, exactly. Complete yeah. the hike. Exercise complete. Go home. <laughs> and, All right. We've done the thing. Or we'd even run, you know, and like, we just, yeah. like, it was always exercise really hard. And like, it was more That's about so how far funny. we went. And, but yeah. we still, just by proxy, I still got a lot of exposure to nature, but also by proxy, by living, growing up around all these people, um, my friends who had who had this latent fear of animals and mm-hmm. nature and yeah. existing outside, I was I was affected by that as well because it's contagious. So oh sure yeah, oh, yeah. it's always cool to yeah. hear the other side of the story. Yeah, the grow out of it. That's oh, one of the benefits of raising your kids with less money and with like without a TV. Mm-hmm. Is you you're basically forced to just bring them outside a lot because there's it's so much more stimulating for a child. You've ever like tried to babysit a child? I know my go-to when I'm getting like overwhelmed is to just literally just take them outside. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally, man. It works every man. fucking time because there's just so much stimulation outside. There you know. is. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, we're at three different points on this spectrum, like. I feel like Aaron, you know, had a, a huge, like, immersion in nature growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had sort of a, you had sort of a, you were kind of halfway in it, halfway out of it, sort of, yeah. you might say. But, yeah, yeah I, I was totally not in it. I'm like, I don't want to complain or anything. Like, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, like, nature for my family growing up was just seen outside of car windows as we <laughs> drive through oh, parts, like, like Garden of the Gods. <laughs> Yeah, something yeah. that we did a lot. We would, we, like, love, we go, I mean, I know that drive, like, I could do it with my eyes closed, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But we we would sometimes get out to take a picture. There was never any, like, never, like, never any, like, in, you know, like, oh, look at that deer. Oh, look at that, 
tree or uh -huh. appreciation of the individual nuances in like particulars you know mm -hmm. it was just a general experience kind of also just to get it over with a little bit too because it kind of felt like you should that's something you should be doing like we got to get outside let's go for yeah. a drive yeah like nature for me like it wasn't necessarily like scary i wouldn't say like i felt like like i wasn't like you know having like nightmares about it like <laughs> thinking about nature. going outside oh no oh it's <laughs> coming to get me <laughs> it's just outside like it was right. just uh it just wasn't part it wasn't on my radar really like my family was like very funny and like like a uh, like uh always riffing on each other and always joking there's lots of that kind of energy um mm -hmm. but it wasn't there was no connection to nature or like a, a sense of you know of connection to nature yeah in a way i mean it was also like very like religious and christian and yeah and that that was kind of the connection to the divine so to speak and it wasn't nature wasn't seen as an access point to the divine mm -hmm. unfortunately it was seen as like um an indicator of the divine like look at this wonderful creation you know look at this uh, beautiful yeah. thing that god made for us isn't it so beautiful can you believe people think that this happened by accident you know that's what i heard like growing up a lot mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. but as i've come out of that i feel like i really uh have found my place in nature so just like you know like it's something I want to keep developing, but I feel out of sorts if I don't go on my walk or hike, you know, yeah. through the trail that I, I found for myself that I like just kind of going by myself. And part of what I love is like the ability to go off trail and to explore and to see the, and to stop whenever I want. You know? Yeah, I definitely see that in you. Yeah. It's uh, really helped me. Yeah. Like in a lot of ways, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, myriad ways. <laughs> That's awesome, Lots. man. Yeah, it's been a, it's been great. And now, like the other day, like I was, I found this secret spot on one of my drives, separate from my hike, and it was just great spot. Like these trees that um, I I don't know the kind of trees. It's funny I, we're talking about like I appreciate nature now, but looks like maybe a cottonwood or something. Yeah, cottonwoods, like big cottonwood trees that are great to climb on. You know, like oh, super oh, awesome. Someone had like hammered in like little foot footholds. Like little wood paddles, oh, like yeah? a little ladder on one of them because what? they were so pleasant, you know, made like a little lookout. What? Um, a little hideout. Ah, oh, it's so fucking cool. And yeah, yeah I was just cool. reading there for a while and writing for a while. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. But it was crazy Jimmy. how like no, there was no one there either, you know. Yeah. It was so it was like this kind of bittersweet thing because right next to it was this brand new uh park which which has ash an astro turf field <laughs> and it has a giant playground and it's so funny because the playground is made to look like nature like there's fake rocks you know <laughs> and fake handholds like in it and the uh, branches uh, rather and uh and it's so funny because it's so crowded over there. there's tons of kids all oh. ages on it it's like this giant new like you know mecca of, like <laughs> playgrounds you know like just like a hundred yards away not even a hundred yards like is uh -huh. like this amazing like tree grove that i, I, I literally only went over there because i was like i have to pee <laughs> i don't want to pee in front of these kids <laughs> right? yeah so oh man i mean i can't say i was necessarily drawn there for the the best re reasons but i did appreciate it once I got there and realized what it yeah. was and I was still surprised and kind of sad because I only saw like maybe you know two kids come over there and it was just so much more engaging 
Yeah, I remember. I'm, that reminds me of like when I was a child at La Petite Academy. I would go yeah. to. I would go to with all my friends. We'd go to this park pretty regularly. We'd go on all kinds of field trips, and one of them we went to was this park that was a block away. Is Golden Hills Park. Yeah. And we'd all play on the playground, and we'd all play kickball, and we all eat snacks. But the coolest part of the whole snacks. <laughs> <laughs> And, but the, but definitely the coolest part of the whole experience was this little grove right next to the park where we would play tag. And the teachers were always uncomfortable with us going there. That probably made it even cooler. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. But it was just the fact that it was cool on its own virtue because there's this little grove, right? You can just dodge around the trees and go in circles and you try to catch each other, play all yeah. kinds of cool-ass imaginative play games in the grove yeah. and it's literally like 10 feet off of from the playground and we were we were stifled from going there like you know the, ad- <laughs> yeah. the adults had this unconscious bias where they would just always be uncomfortable with us playing there like it, they, they didn't see anything logically wrong with it but yeah. it's like the mystery just the fact that there's any kind of mystery involved uh, made them like they're obviously yeah. scared they're gonna lose some kids yeah. They're obviously scared, you know. It's one of those fears of it's a, it's a to me it's like a hyper attachment. It's a with dogs we call it overbondedness or enmeshment, enmeshment kinda. or something like that. Where you're, you're essentially mm-hmm. you're so afraid of losing something, you become hyper focused on security and you stifle mm-hmm. their freedom. Yeah. Yeah. But in like a, you, I can imagine and what I've read about in like old tribes, like the way they used to do it in the old days is like. <laughs> they'd they'd stick around each other, but they wouldn't like. Uh, I mean, they like wouldn't hover. have to be like within ten feet at all times. It's like that's just yeah. weird. You know what I mean? So my mom's an elementary school art teacher now, and I feel like it's gotten significantly more so um, than when like we were kids. Just this fear that a lot of like the uppers in in schools, like the administration, has for upsetting parents. And mm-hmm. I feel like parents, um, at least at the school district my mom works at, can throw a fit over pretty much anything. Yeah. And the school is almost like required to cater to these parents, like yeah. really excessive, over clingy needs that they have for their children. And I get that yeah. some kids do have more mm-hmm. needs than others. And, you know, yeah. you should be listening to the parents. But it's like at such an extreme now that like teachers have mm-hmm. like like they're basically just glorified babysitters because they can't even like risk hurting a child's feelings. Yeah, you know, just through honesty and having them grow. You know, yeah. maybe as a person, maybe they were actually being mean to another kid. Yeah. But now it's like so sensitive, you can't even tell the kid they were being mean. Yeah, the parents wouldn't do that shit themselves. They would right. if, if a parent saw their kid being a little dick, she would punish him. But but somehow the teachers are supposed to keep control over kids and their sanity without ever doling out punishments because kids are never my child's never bad right yeah and I I think some of like what you're describing coming from the lens of like listening to my mom talk about her teaching you know nowadays Mm -hmm. it almost sounds like these teachers are afraid of like anything happening because they don't want to get punished for a kid doing something that a kid would like does you know what I mean like Yeah. yeah and um but there is such an imbalance and teachers have so 
little backup from administration nowadays yeah. it feels like at least in public schools that um they're just willing to bend over backwards so it's it becomes this thing where like if they, they want to do anything extra or you know different you know like letting them go play like in this little grove of trees instead of sticking just to the the playground even if it is still on school property and whatever yeah um it's probably like kind of a scary thing for the teachers too solely because they don't have anyone supporting them if something happens and i don't yeah. know you know back when we were kids like i said it was a little bit different like that wasn't yeah too as an extreme as it is now but i think that was still a yeah, thing yeah i think that's part of why it's gotten worse yeah so it becomes any kind of not factory made not yeah. Something that if it doesn't have a stamp of some kind of approval that they mm-hmm. can like show, yeah, then like it's yeah too too much of a liability, which is weird to me when yeah. it's like trees. Meanwhile, they got like rural swamp rat or kids, you know, school in the woods type of kids that'll play in the <laughs> woods, and they end up like the coolest fucking kids. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Totally. Because they got yeah. bumps and scratches, and they learned uh-huh. all their lessons, you know. It's important yeah. as a kid. It really, really is, in my School opinion. School should be, like, you know, an arena for, like, someone who's trying to gradually take on more and more agency, yeah. you know? And so yeah. it's, like, they need to have bits of agency. How do they, exper- ex- you know, experience that? And, they, you know, what parts of their destiny do they control? I think it's just a, kind of a gap in value systems that I feel like it might be more of a root cause when you don't have any kind of sense of meaning with like we talked about like with nature or with something like that like the parents freak themselves out even more and each other out like other parents being like oh no i heard about this blah 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 like then you suddenly you're scared of your kid going to the woods like even though it's 10 feet away that's such a tame very little tame. nook of nature like mm-hmm. there's like a little tiny creek right like uh two like it's perfect it's like a great yeah place to play it's perfect yeah there's nothing weird about it like nothing sketchy there's no road on that side it's basically people's backyards yeah right i feel like if we had a value system that incorporated like a sense of connection to nature like that's a given like then it's like oh it's up to the parents you know that's a gray area well people why why is this a gray area this is weird what i was going to say earlier about this people are so worried about traumatizing their kids like how am I going to fuck up my kids instead of really <laughs> realizing mm-hmm. the true damage, the, uh-huh. the, the, high, the most uh-huh. damage you can do to a child is to not allow them to be exposed to the world, which is essentially... Mm. Yes. Right. Oh, that's so true. Whatever, whatever does damage them in their tiny little worlds becomes huge, becomes like this big part of their identity. Instead of seeing like how much they're missing once the, the world becomes scope. bigger once the world becomes bigger that little spider that bit you or that uh that little you know traumatic thing that happened to you at the grocery store becomes not such a big deal once the world gets huge right yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very much so about perspective um that's a really good point never thought of it because that's the saddest part is like not knowing what you're missing it, it, you made me think of it jimmy when um you were talking about the uh seeing nature out, outside the window of your car. Yeah. Because it wasn't so sad. Like, your parents didn't do anything, like, terrible to you, it sounds like, growing up. The fact that you didn't know what you were missing is the yeah. biggest tragedy to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think the lesson I learned and what a lot of kids learn is, like, like you, you can't do it on your own without someone supervising you. 
you know mm-hmm. like the world is too big so you need us you need this that's kind of the sub the the what you end up learning from mm-hmm. those experiences you know it's like i can't rely on myself plus that's what they show in psychology too uh, a lot of psychological studies show that we we become so hyper focused on uh an issue like a critique we become so critical that we actually miss 90 something percent of uh what's in our environment that's interesting so we're walking around with these blinders on. So explain oh. that more. Yeah. So like present people with a stimulus, like a present, like theoretically, like let's say like a picture or a video. Okay. Um, most people tend to hone in on and focus on one detail of that picture. It depends okay. on a variety of things like your priming mm. or like the way you were raised. But most people focus on one little part of that picture and they miss mm like 90% of the picture. So mm. one of the classic examples that became like a pop culture one was the gorilla bouncing a basketball. Oh, that one. Okay, yeah, I remember those videos and yeah, Psych yeah. 101 or whatever. Yeah. That was a that was a really fun easy way to demonstrate this phenomenon. Like we can become if you give somebody a task, yeah. They become so hyper focused. It's a mm-hmm. it's a good quality to have, right? We become so hyper focused on this task that we actually miss huge mm-hmm. huge things in our environment and that's why the world looks so small to yeah a lot of these people and it's always like, so surprising to see the gorilla after afterwards yeah you're like, you're like I what i thought i knew it all yeah you're like what you're looking for like you're like it's like count how many red shirts are in the crowd and you're counting and counting yeah. and this gorilla walks by bounces a basketball for like five seconds and then walks away and you're yeah. like how the f-? they're like did you notice anything weird in that video and you're like, no, I was just looking. I was like three shirts. There's three red shirts. Yeah. And <laughs> they're, like, they're like, look at it again and see if you can see the gorilla bouncing a basketball. And then you're like, what? And then you see it. And that's just a testament yeah. to like how much there could be in this world right now. Like as we walk around this world, how many things are we all just missing? There's pills you get from a doctor, and then there's drugs, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things. In reality, they're both points on a spectrum with mm. thousands of different things. Like, food is on that same spectrum. Like, right. Food is a, bana- is a medicine, like a banana yeah. is a medicine, technically. It's got potassium in it. And your body can respond if you're paying attention and you're, like, trying to get... If you're, like, working every day to, like, try to get in tune with the mechanisms of your body... You start to notice yeah. like which foods you prefer at which times a day, depending on like what activities you're doing, and those are technically like, depending on how you define it, that's a medicine. And like mm. a person, I don't want to get into that part. I guess that's a little too far. But <laughs> a person can be a medicine. A medicine. Like there's all yeah. the medicine and Jimmy medicine and vibes. Yeah, like, vibes. that's kind and of then, tying back to vibes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like, but I'll I'll get back to the. I'll just like rein myself in a little bit like dr- drugs and pharmaceuticals yeah. are are thought of in this way that's incredibly limiting to their mm-hmm. potential. People think yeah. you got to take so much drugs to find an F to for it to be efficacious. But mm-hmm. what if you just take a small amount of that drug? Then what happens? And you find like in human medicine, they haven't even explored that. Like the like, minimum dosage kind of. Yeah, like stuff. 
the microdosing. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But essentially, like, if mushrooms can give you this giant trip experience, what can like a teeny tiny bit of mushrooms do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can do that with any medicine. Like, oh man. There are certain medicines that that just doesn't work for because you're not in the therapeutic range. But there's a yeah. lot of medicines out there that you don't need to take so much of because there's all these side effects. You can just take a small amount, and, th- and the effects are very different if you only yeah. take a small amount. Yeah, that's like Aaron's dog right yeah? now. Yeah, that's the thing I think of. But. What happened? Well, I feel like he's. I, I feel like that's still kind of different. Mm-hmm. So he's still on the basically like that generic version of Keppra for his seizures. We've just tapered down how much we give him. Yeah, you made um, his doses been, like a third, right? Um, a sixth actually yeah um and it's been really cool like because we've been working with like our vet and stuff to like because obviously we couldn't take him off it like right away or anything and he's probably still going to have to have a little bit every day because we want to play it safe too uh-huh. yeah. yeah but yeah he's down to one pill a day and he was originally taking six which felt like For very seizures. yeah, yeah so it's yeah. really easy to tell like he's you know not having seizures anymore or he was having seizures yeah so, you know whereas like other medicine it's more subtle but it's been efficacious at a sixth of the dosage so far. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's awesome. hard, too, because we don't know what caused the seizures. Um, yeah. They just it, kind of generically said, well, he has, like, yeah. doggy epilepsy. So we don't know what triggered it to begin with also, like, to be fair. But um, he seems to have somewhat of a traumatic past, though. Yeah. Most of medicine in, like human history and tribal history was preventative it works it's like more effective and it's less disruptive to the body's natural processes to just prevent right. an illness like yeah. ahead of time and then with yeah. drugs you can microdose as well like people think of cocaine it's like this okay so it's an illegal drug right for good reason right. yeah right? it's addictive it has all these kinds of negative effects on the body right mm-hmm. but in another culture a lot of people use cocaine all the time with no negative side effects and plenty of positive effects, right? The coca leaf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they're not, it's not technically cocaine at that point. It's like a, it's a micro dose of cocaine that could do the, that the plant's right. natural yeah. well, medicine it's... to counteract any of the issues that come, come along with it. Yeah. And yeah, it's something I've been wanting to try for a long time now. Yeah, that uh, um, preventative medicine complements well with the positive psychology stuff you were talking about earlier, too. Oh, yeah. Great. Exactly. Yeah. New frontier. Yeah. Well, and it's just, I'm glad that it seems like it's becoming, like, a bigger movement in the U.S. Because I do think it, you know, it obviously leads to, you know, having, like, a, a healthier lifestyle and, you know, not needing as many reactive treatments to like like illnesses that are probably preventable like late in life if you just take care of yourself and i feel like people are paying more and more attention to, to that in the u.s which i think is awesome i'm really happy that movement's happening yeah um because yeah my my degrees in health and wellness promotion and it was really just like all about preventative health care which was oh. awesome oh cool but i do think part of what's fueling that mu- movement i don't think it's all of what's fueling it but i do think a piece of that is our healthcare system here because it is cheaper for people to invest in their health better, eating better, taking care of themselves more, treating things before they become big issues because Mm -hmm. our healthcare system isn't 
it, it doesn't offer that safety net for people if it does become a big issue. So people can't afford mm. to have those big issues later in life either. And I think more and more of the younger generations, like our generation, see that. But they also see that just like the positive value of taking care of yourself more anyway. Like there's a lot of positive things to it. But I do think it sucks that like part of that push for that is because our healthcare system isn't, it doesn't offer that safety net. So you kind of have to plan as though there is no safety net. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. I had to resort to physical therapy and KT tape for my shoulder because I can't afford shoulder repair surgery. Yeah. For my rotator yeah. cuff. So, and it worked. Like, I was able to figure out about a, like an alternative therapy that actually works. Like, the stem cell. that It's not stem cells, technically. It's, like, the kind of stem cells from my own body are activated oh, cool. through platelet-rich plasma injection. And I would have never discovered that if healthcare, you know, if I, if I lived in like France. <laughs> right. Yeah. If like the healthcare system had been, you know, reacting to your, to whatever your ailment was, which was yeah. your shoulder in this case. Yeah. It's awesome. It's beautiful kind of that like life is able to just find a way like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's super cool. Yeah. I think ideally like our system would incorporate those more nuanced kind of approaches to medicine and yeah. diagnosis, but also have a not be so god darn expensive. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe this is just yeah. how it happens. Like, this is the system changing. It's like, if you think of the system, if you change the borders of the system, yeah. and it's not just healthcare it's changing it's like it's a cultural phenomenon like a societal change right and yoga like yoga studios have grown in popularity people practicing yoga and that is you know when it's done correctly with people who have been trained correctly is a form of preventative health care it is taking yeah. care of your body um the rise in, in that and popularity with that um yeah. with like our generation and, and other things that people might say like fall into that vein as well like you know acupuncture and things like that um i feel like those have grown a lot in popularity over the last like 10 years yeah mm -hmm. um and i think it's really cool to see that those have so much more momentum i, I think there's so much there that has just been completely untapped in american culture specifically just because people have been so closed yeah. off to it because it's different and it's not always been done and you know all of that but there's a lot of positive things i mean there's a reason a lot of these things have been around as long as they have and why people have used like these practices as long as they have people don't realize how we actually have the power like to, ch to change those boundaries like for example with the platelet-rich plasma injections i've been getting those for two years now i could never afford it's like it was like 400 to a thousand dollars per injection Oh, wow. So, so for whatever reason at the time, I was in school or whatever, I could never afford to get yeah. the amount I needed to just fully heal and, like, be done with the problem. Yeah. Right. But I'm finally seeing that, like, my shoulder's just getting stronger and stronger. Like, I'm 30 years old. My shoulders should not be giving out on me yet. Like, these types of injections should work on somebody my age. But I just keep – I kept re-injuring it because I get all excited. I feel the strength come back <laughs> in my shoulder. And I would get all excited and go do some parkour, just overuse it because it's, it's generally like an overuse injury. Right. So in the very beginning, I, I tried to get it covered by Medicare. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And it wasn't covered the first couple of times. They were just like, no, we don't cover that. I was just hit. I just kept hitting these walls. And so I gave up. 
And I was like, I'm going to do it anyways. I still need this treatment, so I'm going to do it anyways. Even though it's been proven to work, like scientifically proven, beyond any reasonable doubt, like statistically efficacious, right? Uh Our healthcare system hasn't affected it, hasn't, hasn't, uh, sorry, accepted it yet as a proper treatment. And there's, you know, all kinds of reasons for that, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But more recently, I had... Because I tore up that $700 check, I had a, I had a uh, even stronger motivation to get it covered by insurance, right? And my, yeah. ins- my insurance changed yeah. to, my, to my employer's insurance. So it became easier oh, to cool. That's cool. figure out how to um, apply for a claim. Yeah. Post-treatment, you can submit a claim. It's like a special form you can get. It says, like, mm-hmm. will you pay for this after the treatment? <laughs> And they yeah. and since since I tried last time, they've got they've got these CPT codes I didn't have first time around. Basically, all the the secret numbers you need to get it approved by insurance. Yeah, the codes. And it should be covered. The last representative I spoke to said it actually should be covered. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Like this is us. This is us changing the boundaries of that system. Right. Yeah. And like it's happening in science as well. Like we're because of this new age type of thought, we're able yeah. to like incorporate that into into our schools like we're we're teaching classes on positive psychology and graduate students that i'm speaking to both my roommates are grad students doing this research and they're telling every once in a while you'll see somebody come out with a project that's revolutionary like completely different than the status quo because like right now the status quo is to kind of continue perpetuating the old scientific beliefs but every once in a while you'll see a student out there who's talking about like consciousness research or compassion research or empathy research all kinds of stuff that hasn't it's just not it just hasn't been done like it hasn't really been done at all yeah that's probably because really it's cool. kind of hard to harder to study quantify anyway right. oh exactly yeah. it's way harder to quantify yeah yeah but, but it doesn't make it less worthwhile yeah right in fact it probably makes it more worthwhile because because if you can quantify something yeah you can also put it in a box and trivialize it yeah yeah, totally absolutely and sometimes it doesn't quite follow like logic of you know numbers and equations and stuff like mm-hmm. it's a bit mysterious but it is kind of the most like profound and like deeply impacting kind of stuff though that can really like change someone's whole life yeah totally and like with medicine going back to medicine like with the pharmaceuticals yeah if you like nobody really knows how a lot of these biological processes work. Like if you go deep enough mm-hmm. into anatomy and physiology, they'll tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about the brain or the heart or the kidney or the stomach, there's yeah. so much shit going on in there that we don't understand and we don't know. You've opened up a door, like a door to 90% of medicine, you know? Like right now yeah. we're so focused on this like little tiny chunk of medicine's potential. So much there. Yeah, yeah so that's, much there. that's really cool. I forgot you did that, Aaron. That you did, you got that degree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was it, it was really cool. Um, for the bachelor's in that degree, um, we definitely dabbled around a little bit in a lot of different 
um, preventative healthcare fields, ranging from like personal training and like teaching group exercise classes to working more on the statistical end of things um, and doing studies at like schools and in PE classes to working with like urban gardens um, and programs like that. So it was it was really cool um, seeing like just kind of getting a taste for how many different ways you can like how many different angles you can kind of come at it from because it is such a lifestyle thing it's not any one just one any specific area yeah working at the urban gardens for example like i didn't even know colorado springs offered urban gardens or had a need for urban gardens um to be completely honest uh, up until i was in college um even though i've lived yeah. my whole life you know a lot of that does come from me living in a bubble as well you know i'm very grateful for for where i grew up and everything but yeah i definitely didn't see that side of the city for a very long time growing up um in that way and like learning you know what food deserts are and stuff like that that Mm -hmm. impact a lot of low-income communities really severely and lead to a lot of long-term health issues food desert yeah so that's essentially um in a community where and i forgot exactly what the specific like radius is but for so many blocks or so many miles there is no grocery store that provides like fresh produce produce and like things like that that's readily available um so a lot of these communities will literally go grocery shopping at gas stations um and they can't even identify like a lot of things that like we would consider like basic fruits yeah or not bananas not bananas but other other things um just because they've never seen them in person they've never had oh, the opportunity fuck. like in an um, urban and that's, area mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's a very common thing in like really populated cities unfortunately um, colorado springs isn't quite to that degree um by mm-hmm. any means but um also probably really rural areas too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely um so yeah it was really interesting working with a lot of programs dealing with that there's a lot of things you kind of have to work around to get an urban garden going just because like there's a lot of legislation rules and stuff about growing produce for a community that's not you know heavily regulated by by somebody right Mm -hmm. um so it, it was very interesting working with that specifically and I don't know, seeing how big of an impact that that made in, in a lot of people's lives and yeah, just the amount of education that about things that felt very obvious to me because yeah. of how I grew up that were not obvious at all to a lot of kids and in, in the mm-hmm. community that like I live in. Uh, yeah. So that was very eye opening, I think, for me with mm-hmm. uh, with where a lot of people are right now. So it's it's cool to see this movement with there being more preventative health care and things like that but it is still in like middle class upper middle class whatever it's it's not in the lower class really because that's just still just not really as, as much of an option that's definitely true. um so i'd like to see that definitely like get to that yeah. that level too. they need it the most right? yeah mm-hmm. yeah definitely there's the highest rate of obesity Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of like gallbladder remover removal surgeries um, with these like really young populations of kids who live in like these food deserts because of what they eat. What do you guys think is the best way to get that information to the? Uh... There's obviously a lot of different ways you could go about it, but I feel like just going out and like connecting with the people on a very personal level is is the most effective way. 
um, because that's going to have the biggest impact and yes. they're probably going to be the most open to it. That's exactly right. So this kind of goes full circle with our conversation, right? Like, yeah, if you can't, if the middle class doesn't feel comfortable speaking with the lower class, mm -hmm. it causes these issues. Yeah. If we if we have an inability just fundamentally to just hang out and communicate with people who aren't in the exact same social strata, then mm -hmm. you're missing out on they're missing out on all that information that's making that's going to change the world like. Yeah. yeah. And that's why in income inequality is bad. It's because you're not able to be friends with them. Mm. Right. Well, and right. I can't be friends with a millionaire that easily. I don't know I how to. I think that's part of it. Them. I think that's part of it. But yeah. I feel like um, the economic inequality thing is still not necessarily between, you know, like the lower middle class and, you know, any kind of middle class and lower class. Like that's not really like the problem. Mm -hmm. But I, I do agree, like, there should be more of an open sense of camaraderie like community centers like stuff that like community. shared activities you know yeah stuff yeah that we can that, do together uh delivering the message is definitely like part of the equation but the other part is giving them resources and places to you know actually make good on that information like mm -hmm. you know and also like better yeah more money like yeah you know like they there we shouldn't have these food deserts which are kind of a self perpetuating cycle of like because it's just the cheapest food they buy yeah. you know that isn't produce so they should have cheap and healthy food available to them and money to do yeah. it but it's not if you're just delivering the message and you're still putting the responsibility on them right oh like, i totally you know agree. now like so now you got to go do it but it's like well now i it's great that i know what a food desert is but i'm still in the food desert i mean i totally agree i just think it's like it's it, that that's always going to be secondary to like intimacy like if you can't make friends with these people like yeah. how many people can honestly say they can make friends with somebody of a different socioeconomic status and like yeah. maintain the friendship i don't know many people <laughs> who can Right. Well, and I feel like it's not even necessarily friendship specifically, but just having like this respect for these other for yeah people like in different classes and not dehumanizing them because of. Yeah, but respect can be faked. It, you know, I, I feel like it can be faked, but I feel like if it's coming from a genuine place, people can usually tell. Yeah. And I think if it's coming from a genuine place long term, you know, respect can lead to friendship. It can, it can lead to these positive relationships, but you can't be friends with somebody that you don't have any respect for. I think that the uh -huh. primary issue with a lot of Americans is they're in denial that they could yeah. ever actually be friends with a homeless person or somebody yeah. who's in a, they just think, yeah, I oh, could totally so be true. friends. With, I could that definitely so see true. myself being friends with and they, but they never actually take any well, steps to actually do it. Because a lot of people look down on the homeless population and don't see them like they see them as beneath them, like a different right. kind of human. And yeah. um, that is a very strong recurring theme. And if people can't have that kind of respect, I mean, you, you can only fake that for so long, especially if you're that's true seeing them face to face on a regular basis. Like it needs to be coming from a genuine place. Yeah. yeah. Or they know it's okay. not real. Conservatives see homeless, a homeless person and thinks like, oh, they're messing up their life. Like, you know, they didn't make the right decisions to be rich or, you know, to make it. Mm -hmm. And they make it a moral failing. And like, oh, like the liberals see a homeless person and see it as like something that to, to kind of tokenize and to kind of wave a banner about like, oh, we need to, you know, help homeless people. Why are we, they need our, they need our help. It's not necessarily about respect. It's more like contempt. Like they hold contempt 
and a, a sense of cynicism towards the system that creates homeless people in the first place. I think that 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 kind pity. of pity, yeah, like no one wants to be pitied. That doesn't help anything. They want yeah. respect, not pity. And that's that, that that's a huge part. That economic explosion of populism is what bolstered like Bernie Sanders and Trump. It's sort of an, a, a big middle finger to those kind of hoity-toity Congress people who think like they look down on you as like they're the people they have to represent, but they're sort of above you, like on a pedestal sort of thing. Yeah, we need to abolish hierarchies like that. Yeah, I mean, we've been misled. We've been, our, our leadership has failed us. I think there might be a place for leadership. I don't know, you know, like I, I agree. Like I'm all for it. Like if we dismantle this hierarchy, but who's to say what, what comes after it? We need to learn how to have good good forms of leadership and well, uh, yeah yeah it's a good point i'm not i'm not i'm not saying we should abolish leadership but uh, hierarchy is the source of the issue the classist hierarchies which is just essentially anybody thinking they're above anybody else like like in a, in a lot of tribal yeah. cultures the leader in the society is considered a servant to the people yeah mm-hmm. so if anything they're lower <laughs> than uh-huh. the people right that's a much way, better way of putting it. Yeah. We were talking about this today because the same thing happened in uh, India. And I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I might yeah. have, don't quote me on this, but maybe China, where okay. we established hierarchies. We established a class system in India for sure. Oh, yeah, and, the caste system. Yeah. yeah. And as a result, you've got this, like, like a lot of issues that stem from that. Um, yeah. Um, instead of just like, I can't tell you how many times my life has been propelled forward in a positive way because I realized that somebody who was above me wasn't actually above me. Yeah. I was putting yeah. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they are playing a role, you know, if, if necessary, like if they're an elected official there, that's the role they play. Like they aren't actually higher than us. Like, like, mm-hmm. you know, intrinsically they don't hold more value. But that's how they see it. And that only gets in the way of any kind of progress that, that those politicians may or may not pretend to support or rally behind. Or... It's only during elections that you see, like, you know, Nancy Pelosi, like, pretending to drink a beer once or twice. <laughs> With a, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Cameras beer. everywhere. Yeah. Let me roll up my sleeves. I said, yeah, because it's essentially about, like, getting people together in a community center or doing activities together but yeah. that just that just simply doesn't happen like like if anybody could give me like an honest depiction of a situation where somebody from one class is actually like consistently hanging out with somebody of a different class I'll yeah. be very I'll be very surprised it happens sometimes it's very rare I remember hanging out in different class structures too growing up and those are some of my most like you know tr- like cherished kind of fun experiences as a kid I loved going to like my cousin's house and but yeah totally like it it was kind of I could see it being a kind of abnormal part of growing up because like my other friends didn't have that kind of experience mm-hmm. and I was always telling them about my cousins growing up and how fun their friends are and like I would always try to bring that some of that energy to my friend group Oh, yeah, that, like, fuck with each other type of energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Make a game out of anything energy. Yeah. Finding really fun ways of, of uh, making up games in, in the street or something. I remember these guys lived next door to me when I was living in Florida. They would play poker every night. They'd have people over 
and chill mm. and like have yeah. a couple have a couple drinks and then just get a bunch of coins and play poker with coins like if you win you get like 10 bucks you know yeah maybe 20 maybe five but you went you go home with what you made that night but the but we weren't we weren't playing for a lot of money because none of us had any money you know because the, <laughs> yeah. rent, the rent is like twice as high up there and mm -hmm. the pay is about the same down in Florida. But that was a fun-ass game. And then I had another neighbor who's from Jamaica. He had a huge garden. He taught me all about it. We would, he was very generous, and he would, like, share his seeds with me. I still yeah. have some of those seeds to this day. I just planted it the other day and grew some okra. And I was like, because I, I forgot what seed he gave me. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, I wonder what's going to grow. And now I've got all this okra. So there's, like, <laughs> so much benefit to, to, like, hanging out with people outside of your you're the class that you're used to. Yeah. In Boulder, the same thing happened. I was, I started hanging out with these people who were like millionaires uh -huh. and I brought so much to the table and they brought so much to the table. The only thing stifling us was the income gap. Mm -hmm. um, it was an awkward topic. Sometimes it was like the money shame you're talking about stifles, yeah. stifles those relationships and it kind of prevents them from yeah. continuing and perpetuating and growing yeah i think you're right about that it's hard to have a long like a long uh lasting connection like that were those millionaire groups that you hung out with like was the dynamic you said it was just as fun or what was it like compared to the it other was, one well it's some like you said it's some of my most cherished memories because mm -hmm. because I learned so much it's like a, it's like stepping into a whole new world yeah but there's parts of it that suck like it's incredibly yeah. bureaucratic and political mm -hmm. and but there's like there's like lots to learn lots to be exposed to lots of you can you know they'll fly you out to their place in the northwest oh. and they'll like okay. they'll have this mansion right and it's they'll have pools and parties and you'll get to you get to meet people from all over the world and yeah. people who are like it was for far it was because of conference on world affairs i met these people oh, okay i remember yeah, that, yeah those days yeah. yeah yeah it was like a really good experience for someone like me to have and it totally opened my mind up to the world and the possibilities of the world and it's something mm -hmm. that 99 percent of people don't get to ever experience you know like some people might go to miami and get invited to a yacht party and it's like that's the one time they ever got to hang out with rich people <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah. But they'll never forget that. There might be some negative emotions there, like jealousy and money shame. But at the end of the day, it's a positive experience for both parties. Mm. They're both learning and growing. And the more we can do that, like the more we can foster those relationships, the better, like the stronger America will become. You know? Yeah, definitely. Because they don't like it either. Rich people don't like just hanging out with a bunch of like fucking snobby, like just playing golf yeah. all the time like i was gonna say that that's been more my experience like when i hung out with my cousins they were they were like lower socioeconomically than i was at that oh. time okay yeah like we were like even now you know <laughs> but <laughs> okay. back in the day that that's what i mean like it was more I, maybe because i was a kid you know so i appreciated the energy more but it felt more real and it felt more dimensional and it felt more engaging and uh, I felt more connected, like a sense of community, you know, that kind of familial warmth, but also a, a sense of inclusion. Um, but also like I would get challenged a lot too, like, oh, go climb on that thing or let's go do this thing or, but it wasn't in like a scary way. It was like a fun way, like playful, um, playful. Yeah. And I felt like my friends 
who didn't experience that who were like you know more upper middle class like me just grew up in these really big houses and the bigger the house the more it just was more space between you and the next kid you know more yard and so I just felt really isolated and really in a weird bubble and I was always just like wondering like where are the other kids in my neighborhood like where are they I found some of them and you know I lifelong friendships now with them obviously but but they, yeah, it, it still was different than like at my cousin's house, like all the neighbors' kids. And they had so many kids. Everyone has so many kids and uh, so many siblings. It was just a fun time. I, I Same thing, similar thing kind of happened to me. I was, for the first 14 years of my life, I lived in a middle class neighborhood. And then I moved to an upper middle class neighborhood. Right. And the difference, even besides like, a very small difference in like change in socioeconomic status yeah changed everything it was night and day again yeah. it was there's no children though i was used i grew up in a cul-de-sac and there were every single kid on the like end of that cul-de-sac was uh -huh. friends and knew each other and played every day like into the night yeah and we so did good. all kinds of fun things and like ran around in the back and like got all kinds of bumps and scratches and stuff right and then i get yeah i moved to peregrine and it was like don't talk to me you know stay away from me you're over there i'm over here and like yeah totally oh, i remember my cousins sucked. would come over to my house and they were like whoa you live in a mansion and to me i didn't really like when you grow up in it it doesn't really feel special necessarily mm -hmm. even now in retrospect i don't necessarily feel like oh if only i had that mansion again like i don't really miss it but when my cousins came over though the games we would do or like the way they saw things was so much different like we would go outside and like you said like play like hide and seek in the woods and get scratches and bumps and scratches and, like, and chase deer and stuff like i never went outside and did that kind of stuff yeah. by myself